Our reading today is from Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 21, starting at verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are not sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Thank you, Father that the gospel has come from the Lord Jesus through the apostles to us. And we pray, Father, as Paul prays, uh, tells the church in Galatia, that we would be those who hold on to the gospel and not turn to another gospel. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, maybe you've been like me this week and you've been glued to your television sets watching the Brown Blair documentary. Or perhaps you're not old enough to even know who these guys are, and you've perhaps got a bit of a life, unlike me. Uh, But if you've not seen it, it is a documentary. It's about six hours long, going through every single detail uh, about the years that Brown and Blair were these two big figures at the top of government. And one thing you notice as you watch this documentary is how embarrassed they are about the disagreements they faced over the years. Everyone knew that they clashed, But actually, when they're pressed on the details in this documentary, they get embarrassed and they want to divert the attention to all the successes they had. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because the passage this evening does the complete opposite. These two big figures in the early church, Peter and Paul, they publicly clash, but Paul doesn't shy away from it. There's no explaining it away. In fact, he records it here in great detail. Now, the question is why, and why does that matter to us? And that's what we're going to be thinking about over the next few minutes. Uh, I want us to see what the issue is with the guest list. We'll see uh, what that means in a minute. Uh, And then we're going to think about how the gospel should have shaped the guest list. And then third and finally, how the guest list shapes the gospel. 
Now, why am I talking about guest list? What's the issue here? Well, look at Peter's mistake in chapter 2, verse uh, verse 12. Here's what Paul says. Before certain men came from James, Peter used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. See, here's Peter's mistake. It's he suddenly being picky with the guest list at his dinner table. Before, Paul says, he was eating with Gentiles, but now these guys from James have come across and whispered in his ear, and so he withdraws. And I've got this on a diagram in front of us. Uh, Once Peter was uh, eating with the Gentiles, the non-Jews, now there's separate dining tables when it comes to mealtimes. And it's not only Peter, but verse 13 tells us that everyone copied him. And so now in the church at Antioch, where, where we've got uh, mealtimes, everyone's divided between Jews and non-Jewish people, Gentiles. Now, what would drive Peter to do this? Well, for a Jewish person, the dinner table was really very important. See, the dinner table acted like an identity badge. See, we often talk about clean eating, don't we? Detoxing special diets, that sort of thing. But uh, believe it or not, those things aren't a 21st century invention. Actually, they were uh, around in Israel. See, when God called Israel, he called them to be his special nation. And as he done that, he gave them this visual reminder that they were different to those around them. And the way he did that was to give lots of laws about what's clean and unclean food. So you could eat uh, beef, but you couldn't eat pork. Uh, You could eat cod, but you couldn't eat prawns. And so every time a Jewish person walked across town and they saw their non-Jewish neighbors eating in uh, a pulled pork sandwich or something like that, or a prawn cocktail, uh, they thought to themselves, no, we're different. We're not like the nations around us. And so it was really important that a Jewish person didn't just eat with anyone, but they thought carefully about their diet. Here's um, some old text uh, uh, that says this, eat not with them, that's the Gentiles, for their works are unclean. Or Acts 10 in the New Testament, uh, Peter says this, for you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. See, he says going into a Gentile's house is unlawful. Now, why does Peter change his mind? Remember what Paul said, he's eating with the Gentiles, now he's separating off. Well, have a look at verse 12, see if you can spot it at the end there. We're told that it was because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Um, Literally, that phrase is of the circumcision. In in other words, it is the Jewish non-Christians, the Jewish neighbors of Peter. See, imagine, um, why does he fear them? Well, imagine for a second, there's an extinction rebellion leader. And um, they're as vegan as they come. Uh, They are carbon neutral. They eat nothing but soya. And imagine if this leader, though, was spotted in an Aberdeen Angus steakhouse uh, with their friends tucking into a a stack of rare uh, beef steaks with peppercorn sauce. Don't think about the peppercorn sauce. Come back to to the image here. 
Uh, whether the leader is eating meat or not, there'd be serious questions asked, wouldn't there? How could you do this? You're acting hypocritically. How can you say, actually, it's important to be vegan and yet be happy to sit with these people eating rare steaks? And there's something of that going on here. It seems these people from James are reporting to Peter how the persecution is hotting up, how they're rubbing their Jewish neighbors' nose in it by eating with anyone they like. And so Peter does a slightly understandable thing. He withdraws to lessen the offense, to quieten down the opposition. Peter's like us in a lot of ways, isn't he? I, I love the fact Peter's in the Bible, even though he gets things wrong. Because he didn't change his practice because of some deep, thought-out theological conviction. It wasn't in his study where he stumbled across the reason to do this. He changed his mind because he was afraid. He was afraid of what his friends would say. And Peter ends up doing this big thing of changing the guest list and affecting the whole church in the area because he just thought it was easier to get on with his friends. I don't know about you, but often my motivation isn't any more sophisticated than Peter's. I do things to fit in. And there is a lesson here, isn't there, of how much fear can drive our behaviors. You'll know it's so easy, isn't it, to declare on a Sunday how great God is and how he's sovereign overall and how he's good. And Monday morning is a very different way, uh, place to speak about those things. But moving on to our second point, how does the gospel shape the guest list? What I mean by that is why was this guest list such a problem? See, Paul, notice, has it out with Peter, doesn't he? At verse 11, we read that when Peter came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Uh, you know how footballers, sorry, another football illustration. You know how footballers, often when they see red, they square up to one another. And you say that they're kind of um, uh, having it out face to face. That's the kind of sense here. Paul's not losing his temper, of course, but it's not a kind of private rebuke. It's not Paul just deciding to troll Peter. This is a very public rebuke of what Peter's done. Why the strong reaction, though? I mean, okay, Peter's given into peer pressure. We all do from time to time. Okay, he's changed his dinner guess. But is that really such a crime? Well, for Paul, it is a crime it's a crime against the gospel itself. Have a look at verse 14 with me. Paul says this, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, In front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not a Jew. How is it then you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? See, for Paul, Peter dividing was undermining the very gospel he said he proclaimed. But how is that the case? How does this decision over dinner affect what they believe about the gospel? Well, um, Paul introduces a new word here, and it's the word justify. Now, this is a hugely important word, um, especially for the book of Galatians, and we're going to come back to it week after week. But to justify means to declare something or someone in the right 
It's a, a word that comes from the courtroom. And just to help us with this and give us a bit of a break, I've got a judge. Uh, our judge, come on down. And I've got someone who has been accused of committing a crime. Ellie, come on down. And I didn't ask you to wear the same stuff, but, uh, <laughs> but well done for doing it. So here's our judge. Now, the judge's job is to work out whether Ellie has done the crime. Uh, we don't know what the crime is, let's not go there. But um, <laughs> uh, he has to decide whether she's guilty or innocent. And uh, if he thinks she's innocent, he's meant to justify her, to declare her in the right. What does that look like? Do you want to give that a go? No, let's not. <laughs> so, sorry. So that means you're free to go. You're, you're in the right. Um, if she's guilty, don't go anywhere. Uh, if she's guilty, he's to condemn her. So do you get that? To justify is to... Sorry, don't, do, don't condemn her. It's not helpful. So to justify her is to declare her in the right, free of any accusation. Thank you very much to our judge and accused uh, there. But this is the big question, uh, question, uh, question that's in the book of Galatians. When it comes to God and His verdict on us, uh, when we stand in the dock in His courtroom, on what basis will He declare us guilty or innocent? Will He say, look, you are guilty, but it's okay because you've kept the Jewish laws. It's okay because you've eaten the right foods. You've tried your hardest. I guess if we were translating this today, would God say, it's okay, you've kept your carbon footprint down. You've done your recycling every Wednesday. Or will he say, no, you're guilty, and judgment is rightly deserved, but Christ has come and taken your judgment. And because it's fallen on him, it need not fall on you. Well, in case we're in doubt about the answer, verse 16 tells us, that Paul says, we know that a man is not, or woman, is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Now it feels like he's saying the same thing over and over, and that's right, because he is. Uh, it's like, Paul says, there's a big dividing line. There's two paths to being justified. I've got this on a slide uh, behind me. How do we get right with God? How are we justified? Is it by obeying the law or is it by faith in Christ? And Paul says no one, not even the most perfect Jewish observer, not even the best person you can think of, is going to be justified by the law. All of us only our only hope is faith in Christ. Now, so why is Peter undermining that very truth as he changes his guest list? Well, Peter is not denying the gospel exists, and he's not denying that we need Jesus, but he's given the impression that we need something more to really make it. Um, one of my favorite things to do in the world is to go to a theme park. If you're ever going, please do pick up the phone. Um, and uh, I love them because, uh, well, because they're great, aren't they? And I could quite happily spend all my years um, living in one. But there's something that's kind of marred my experience in recent years, and that is the fast track pass. You come across these? 
They're awful. Uh, you go to this theme park, you pay your, your life savings to get in, and then suddenly you find yourself in the queue with these rich people jumping ahead of you uh, with fast-track passes. And you think to yourself, I mean, it brings up my inner communist. I get so angry. You, you think to yourself, I've paid all this money to get in, and yet there's something extra I need to actually get into this ride in under three hours' time. And it's like that here. Peter is kind of giving the impression there's something extra we need. It's not just that we get into the park. It's not just that we're justified. But we need the law. We need to change the way we eat. We need to change our practices. And in the Galatians uh, setting, they need to be circumcised. Then you can be sure you're God's people. But actually, Paul says, no, that is all wrong. It is the gospel and the gospel alone It is Christ and his work alone that brings us to God. Have a look at verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul's not saying there that his personality has disappeared. He's not saying he no longer exists. But he's saying the old Paul with all its boasts, with all its heritage, with all those things going for it, no longer exists because he's been crucified with Christ. See, that's the gospel. Christ has done it all. And Peter, in separating off, is undermining that very truth. So you have a look at chapter 3, verse 28. Here's where, Peter, uh, where Paul is going to go. He's going to say this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, that's what the gospel does. It makes a community where neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female matters, but who we are in Christ. See, the gospel has to shape our guest list. The gospel should change the way we are as a church community. Now, I guess many churches today aren't going to make the mistake of insisting on circumcision. I mean, I've never come across a church like that, and I certainly wouldn't want to go near one. Uh, That's not going to be our mistake, is it? But we can so easily as churches give the impression that we need something on top of what it means to follow Jesus. We can give the impression that you need a university degree, or you need to be from the right social class, or you need to have this special spiritual experience that the church has had, or you need to practice the same religious practice, or you need to be of the right race, or you need to have the right accent, or you need to just have the right look. But actually, Paul says, no, it is Christ and Christ alone that brings us to God. That's how the gospel should shape the guest list. But third and finally, I want us to think how the guest list shapes the gospel. I think I lost the plot with this talk point, to be honest. I'm not quite sure what I even mean uh, by it. But basically, I'm asking the question, uh, what, how does this change uh, the way we do things? I don't know how you feel when people have an argument. I don't know if you've ever been on the tube or a train where people are having a bit of a barney. It is the most awkward thing, isn't it, in the world. You want to look elsewhere or at least video it on your phone and post it later. But Paul doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to look dead on to this argument because he wants us to see what it took for the gospel to come to us. See, imagine for a second that Peter actually got his way. 
that Paul didn't stand up to Peter or Peter managed to shout him uh, uh, to, to argue differently. And imagine there was then from that point forward two tiers of Christians. Well, imagine how you would be feeling. I don't know about you, but you'll be constantly thinking, wouldn't you, am I in that top tier? Or how can I get in that top tier? Or how can I be like the person sitting next to me who's more special than I am? And imagine you're taking that gospel out. I mean, you'll be constantly thinking, wouldn't you, actually, is this person of the right caliber? Is this person got the right social background? Has this person got the right heritage? Before we tell them. But wonderfully, Peter didn't win out. He listened to Paul. Uh, Have a look at this in Acts chapter 15, verse 10. It's on the screens behind me. This is Peter. It's incredible when you see this context, isn't it? Uh, And here in Acts chapter 15, there's an argument going on about whether the Gentiles need to be circumcised, need to become Jewish. And Peter says this to this court of of church leaders. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Hear what Peter's saying? Why insist on this? Because there is only one way, and it is the grace of our Lord Jesus for the Jew, for the Gentile. Now, how does Peter's actions change things? Well, it means there is absolutely nothing more you need than Christ alone. The president in the White House, the peasant girl in the Brazilian shantytown, all come to God through the same Jesus and Jesus alone. The older conservative who absolutely loves Radio 2, the young radical who thinks Radio 1's too conformist, both need Christ, both come the same way. And I don't know about you, but that is hugely encouraging, isn't it? Because it can be so easy to think, I haven't quite got what other people have got. Or perhaps other people have told us, actually, our failures over life. And we can think to ourselves that we don't often fit. But actually, the moment we're in Christ, actually, we are completely justified. No matter our background, no matter our IQ, no matter who we are. Now, what does this mean for us as a church as we finish? Well, of course, we want to learn from Peter's mistake, don't we? We want to not make the same mistake of dividing and undermining the gospel with our actions. And Peter's example shows us that actually it does matter how we act. It's all very well declaring the right thing. We need to live it as well. And so, of course, there's no room for classism, for racism, for sexism in Jesus' church. But actually, there's something, I think, much more encouraging in these verses Uh, than just rebuking us. Because it helps us see, doesn't it, why the gospel is so precious as it is. See, you'll know that the world around us is more divided than ever. People are divided on everything. Biden, Trump, liberal, conservative, men, women, woke, free speech, remain, leave, Samson, Apple, everything we divide over. And our world, on the other hand, just longs for something different from that polarizing commentary constantly. But the church is completely different, isn't it? Because we have the gospel. 
because Christ doesn't meet us for where we, uh, doesn't um, justify us because of who we are or what we've done, but because He is merciful and because He loves us. And because Christ has died, the innocent one for the guilty, whoever we are, we can be justified in God's courtroom. And that means that the church should be a completely different place to the world around us. Not dividing, not looking down our noses at other people, but knowing that none of us deserve to be at the table, but all of us are counted right through Christ alone. And it also means that as we take that gospel out, we can be absolutely confident, can't we, that it is for all people. There's no one beyond God's purposes. And it is something we want to stand for and contend for. It's so easy for churches to fall into bad habits and even shrink back from the gospel. And I understand the pressures. We're in a culture that um, in lots of ways doesn't really understand what the church is doing uh, in the modern day. And I understand those pressures as we go to work and as we go to college and we hear uh, people oppose the Christian faith. And it's easy for churches to lose their nerve, to, to shrink back and to change that gospel. But actually, here we see that actually it matters a huge amount that we hold firm to that true gospel, like Paul, like the early church, so that whoever we are, we may be included in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray and come back to questions. Father, we thank you so much that the Lord Jesus has died both for Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave, free. And we thank you, Father, and we pray that you'd assure us in that great truth and help us, Father, to be absolutely confident in this gospel. And please help us, Father, to live out its implications in all areas of our lives. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. We have some questions that you guys have sent in, so thanks so much for sending them in. Um, let's have a look at them together. So, first question, what part of the Bible is Jubilees? Oh, man, I shouldn't have put that up, should I? Uh, it's not part of the Bible. It's, um, it's a kind of Jewish literature thing. So, I wasn't putting it up in a kind of authoritative thing. You need to listen to that. Certainly don't listen to that. But it's to give you an example of what the kind of Jewish, what was in the kind of Jewish teaching at the time. Jubilees. Great. Yeah, have a read of it, but it's, it's not authoritative like the Bible. Brilliant. Do you think Christians should be engaging in the world to promote a culture of non-diverseness uh, centered on the gospel? And do you think that that is attractive? Yes and yes. Um, yes, it's attractive, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about you, but it's hugely attractive, I think, to think. I remember going to a church literally for the first time. I still remember it very vividly. I may have said this to some of you before, but as I was coming up, there was a guy getting off his motorcycle and taking off his motorcycle levers. And I thought, wow, the gospel's for motorcyclists. It's amazing. <laughs> and I, I remember going and seeing, you know, awkward people being loved and uh, old people, young people. And yeah, it was hugely attractive. I didn't, you know, at that time I wasn't asking questions like, is it justification by faith alone? They're important, but that wasn't the first question I asked. Um, actually coming to a church and just seeing people very different walks of life, loving one another was hugely attractive. Should we be engaging in the world? It depends on what we mean by that. Um, what we don't mean by that is let's leave aside the gospel and try and work with the world to kind of make it join together. I think we have to take the gospel 
and let it trickle out in all sorts of areas of our lives. So yes, if we mean taking the gospel out to the world, absolutely, and that's a great thing to do. Um, yeah, so yes and yes. Great, brilliant. So how do we not judge other Christians who may act in an unchristian way? Based on this passage, uh, they only need Christ, not uh, Christ plus, e.g. meeting together with other Christians. Yeah, so I think if you're guessing at the fact that how do we, how do we not fall... Is that kind of getting at the question? Paul's obviously rebuking Peter, um, and yet that's a good thing. He's not judging him. How do we kind of make that balance? Is that kind of... That sounds plausible. So. Okay, come to me afterwards if that's not the question you're asking. Um, but I think there's a difference between judging and calling people back to the gospel. Um, so interestingly, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us not to judge because that's his job and we shouldn't be doing that. But he does tell us to beware false teachers and um, how to recognize them. And those two things are a part of the kind of church's job, a part of our job. Um, so I don't think we're to judge people. That is Jesus' job, of course. But where we hear the gospel being changed or uh, not being stood up for, I think we want to call people back to that gospel. And I hope you're going to do that with me over the years as well. It's not just people out there. We all need to be reminded of this gospel uh, day by day, don't we? And so we do want to encourage one another uh, to, to, to keep hold of it. And I think that's what Paul's doing with Peter. He's not saying, you're out of here, you're condemned. Um, but he is saying, you're in dangerous ground. Um, come back to the gospel, Peter. Brilliant. Time for a couple more questions? Yeah, Great. I think so. I don't know. Anyone going anywhere? <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, next question then. Uh, let me find where we are. Here we go. Why do you think Paul is reminding the Galatians about this Peter episode right after what we saw last week with Peter endorsing Paul? Yeah, so I think it's coming back to what I was saying at the end that actually it's a great question that because it's helping us to see that this comes in a context. So uh, I think what Paul is showing when he's talking about Peter in the previous section is actually he received the gospel directly from Christ. He didn't need Peter to give it to him. Um, all he did with Peter was to say, have you got the gospel? Yeah, I've got the gospel. Yeah, let's uh, carry on. Um, I think this section is showing actually there was this huge potential barrier to the gospel going out to all nations right at the beginning of the church's history. I mean, it seems if God wasn't involved, it would be hugely precarious, wouldn't it? Uh, because actually here's potentially Peter pulling up the handbrake and saying the gospel is not uh, for all people in that you need something extra. So I have no idea what the question was. I've totally forgotten, sorry. But what was the question? Sorry. Uh, why do you think Paul is reminding the Galatians about Peter? Uh, this episode with Peter, right after... Oh, brilliant, yes. So week. next week we're going to see that the Galatians are making a similar mistake to Peter. Um, so he's saying, look at what it took, look at Peter's mistake, look at what it took to get the gospel to you. So as he's going to say next week, you foolish Galatians, don't do the same thing. But come back next week and we'll hear more on that. Brilliant. Another question then, what does verse 18 mean? Shall I read that out for us? Yeah, go verse on. Verse 18. Gives me, gives me a bit of time. <laughs> If I, if I rebuild what I destroy, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. That's oh, man. <laughs> yeah, thanks for picking the, probably the most difficult verse in the whole book. Uh, <laughs> yes, I think what he means by that is if I rebuild what I destroy, if I go back to being under the law, I prove myself to be a lawbreaker. Um, and so what he's actually saying is, you, Peter, by doing this very thing of going back under the law, 
you're actually becoming lawbreakers uh, against God's will. Now, the big question is how are we doing that? Come back next week, come back the week after, because we'll be getting into that. But basically, Peter's trying to observe the law, and actually, he's inadvertently breaking it by doing the very thing he thinks is good. Come back for a clearer explanation after I've thought about it more. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Should we do last question? Yeah, great. Great, last question. Any advice on making our daily guest list, uh, sorry, making sure our daily guest list isn't affected by fear and peer pressure? Yeah, really good question. Um, any advice? Um, go back to the gospel. Um, so I was thinking, actually, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus reminds us that actually if we love those who love us, what reward will we get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, um, what are you doing more than others? So Jesus is saying, look, people are very good at loving one another. It's not like the church just loves, um, because actually people are very good at loving those who love them back, and people are very good at being good to those who are good to them back. Where the church is different, and Jesus points out, is that we love our neighbors, uh, sorry, we love our enemies, uh, and we love those people who are different to us. Um, And so I do think that means that actually we need to tell ourselves the gospel. When we get that awkward person at church, I'm not going to ask you to name them, uh, but I have to say to myself, no, Christ died for them, they're valuable, they matter. Uh, When I'm getting infuriated by some commentator on the internet, believe it or not, some people on the internet are wrong, um, I have to tell myself, no matter where they're coming from, they are um, not, yeah, they're they're, they're redeemable in Christ. Um, Paul was like that, Um, they're redeemable. When I'm working with my colleagues and they're very difficult, um, again, I'm reminding myself that actually uh, it's people like that who come to know the Lord Jesus. So constantly telling myself the gospel, I think, is the way to do that. Brilliant. That's Thank you. Thanks, Thanks so much, Rob. Thanks for your questions. Brilliant. Thank you so much for your questions, guys. If you do have any more, do feel free to chat to Rob uh, after the service.